Welcome to the Spirit of Coaching podcast, a show that brings new solutions to the world of coaching and athletics. I'm your host, Scott Fox, a mental health and sport performance coach with over 13 years of experience in the field. Welcome to the Champion Playbook and uh, have a wonderful, wonderful treat for everybody today here. Um, you know, Champion Playbook is all about presenting new solutions for sport coaches and athletes and anybody else who's interested. And today's guest is Kimberly Ray. Kimberly is an amazing, as she calls herself, an intuitive coach. And we're going to learn what that is and see how we can translate that into the world of sport coaching, emotional work, trauma relief, you name it. That's what Champion Playbook is all about. Welcome, Kimberly. Beautiful. Thank you, Scott. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm excited about this. Yeah, it's a real joy. And I love to share information. I know you do too. And Kimberly, tell us what an intuitive coach is, and uh, we'll take it from there. Oh, beautiful. Thank you. You know, this is a space that I have fallen in love with, but never saw myself doing it growing up. I used to do physical therapy. So when it comes to sports and kinesiology and, and um, body and, you know, body connectivity and, and, and that sort of thing, that was my world for a long time. Um, and then intuition found me and sort of took over my life. The way that I describe it is the deepest connection with myself fosters a depth of connection with the entire world around me. So I'm able to see beyond the 3D, see, sense, hear, and feel. Um, and so I use that in hopes to inspire, enlighten, open up ease, you know, help people to kind of look at things a little bit differently. So it just shifts our point of view sometimes. That's all that's needed. Yeah, that's amazing. So, you know, either we have attracted some, some good listeners now, or maybe some of them have tuned out saying, wait a minute, Scott is bringing on an intuitive here. That's weird. <laughs> sure. But for me, that's not weird at all. You know, I believe that, um, well, I believe a lot of things. One is that first off, as coaches, we have a beautiful opportunity to influence usually younger people. And as you just said, there's more to reality than 3D. Our 3D is our lingo for here on earth. You know, we look at things and they look solid and e easy to touch and whatnot. And that's captivating, yet there's more. And you're going to share some more of that with us today. And you are gifted in a way that, uh, I think we all are, but you're more so. And could you tell us how that came about? Yes, sure. Indeed, it's something that we all have the capability to do. Maybe not all of us are able to sort of dial into it. Um, it like I said, it's something that just sort of found me literally out in the garden one day. Mediumship is kind of where it all began. And I now understand I was experiencing spontaneous objective viewing of spirit, which means, you know, not in my control. I was viewing spirit standing in the room or the area with me. And then I would just kind of tune in and listen. It never scared me. When I would listen, I would receive information, had most of the time I had no clue what it meant or who it was for. But when I began to share it, I realized it was plugging in with people around me. And it hit me that, holy crap, communication is happening. What do I do about that? So I took it upon myself to study quantum physics, metaphysics, quantum mechanics, to try to understand 
energy and what was happening and why this could work. Because I appreciate science just as much as I appreciate spirituality. So if I can put those two together and make them drive, then, you know, that was kind of everything so that I could use this in a functional way. So now it's something that at will I can plug into and really see beyond the borders of the mind and the borders of the heart and just kind of open and up the receive. How old were you when you first started to recognize that you were receiving communication or in communication? When I first understood like that information was transferring was probably right around 26. I'm 39 now, but all the way back to when I was eight years old, I was seeing spirit in the room with me, but just confused as to like, how come nobody else is paying attention to them? But I didn't really understand what was going on until my mid, mid twenties. Wow. So that's a long time. So you were between acknowledgement and recognition or understanding <laughs> of that. That's 18 years in there. What did spirit come to you as an eight-year-old or older? When I was eight years old, I lived in West Virginia. And I remember looking at the ceiling and just seeing faces that felt familiar, even though they weren't familiar. It, there was just a sense of like peace at home. Faces all over the ceiling and I was laying in bed. And it didn't scare me. It just felt like, okay, they were here to, to watch over me or something. And then as I would grow up and go through middle school and high school, I would have all sorts of paranormal activity around me. And at that time, it scared me because <laughs> I didn't know. There were some profound things happening and I didn't know what or why. The funny thing is, growing up, my mom was an avid ghost hunter. She, would go, she took trips to Alcatraz. I mean, all over the place, but I never could go with her. I never felt the interest to ghost hunt because something else was happening. So for me, the gap between the spontaneous random happenings to understanding and then making it functional, it, that gap was closed when I surrendered. And I just, because, you know, when the mind gets in the way, the mind wants to try to understand it and really figure it out and then, you know, put it in a box. Yeah. And when I sort of just surrendered and let it happen, then the information flowed so beautifully and I'm able to make connections. So I now consider myself an evidential medium, which means I'm able to bring through evidence that I wouldn't otherwise know to validate the presence of, of spirit coming through. And so that has blossomed into my passion to help people live their best life because, you know, now having done this for so many years, that's the light that I want to help turn on in so many people so that they yeah. can live and I love that. And I want our listeners to know that we're going to experience a little bit of that today in a very respectful way, not in a way of, you know, just being splashy here. And I love that you are taking your gifts and you're bringing it into a functional way. It reminds me of, I was listening to a, a scientist speak recently and he had the same approach, which is to say, Hey, science is amazing. We have a lot of data and it, most of it sits on a scientist's desk at a university and it never really makes it out into the world, at least not in a fast way. And his vision is to improve humanity. And I love that. And I love what you're doing too, is that you are taking something that may seem very um, esoteric and translating it into real help. And Again, reminding folks that you come from the world that a lot of these listeners might be familiar with, which is physical therapy and kinesiology. Those yeah. are hardcore. Anybody who's looked at the curriculum in college for kinesiology 
Let me tell oh, you, you, it's, you are steeped in science. There is a <laughs> lot of courses there. In fact, I think that, uh, you know, a lot of people who want to help with regards to the body get sidelined by that. It is a serious yeah. amount. So thank you for bridging that gap between science, what is a mainstream studies in college and something that a lot of people just still are learning about. Yeah, I often used to joke that I went from physical therapy to spiritual therapy, very opposite type of worlds, but you can't have one without the other. Your physicality and the health of your physicality depends, or I shouldn't say depends on, but it's married to your spiritual health and your mental health. And we can't deny that those entities feed and foster the growth of each other. So for sport coaches and athletes who are listening to this, and I have some listeners in the mental health world, this is all really relevant. We talk about mind, body, spirit. In our world, we focus, I would say, 98% of the time on body. We are mm -hmm. in that 3D body, in this 3D world, and we are now, I don't know if the right word is being forced, we are raising our awareness through much of the dysfunction that we see in the world right now to focus what we'll call on, they call mental I don't really like that word because it's very limiting, as most labels are. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about what's getting almost not much play, we'll call it, which is the spirit side and relate that to these athletes, these coaches. What would you say to that? The way that I look at it in mainstream, because there's a big part of mainstream culture that really maybe isn't quite comfortable with the realm, the world of spirituality yet. The way that I see that, the ability to shift that and allow these people that maybe they're not so familiar with it to come into that space is instead of calling it spirituality, which is the same thing, it's just inviting people to honor their nature. Their true nature is the essence of you. It's the most, the innermost part of you, the intrinsic, integral aspects of why you do what you do and who you are and how that sort of connects to the world around you. And so I've noticed, I find those people that I work with where they kind of shy away from the words of spirit-related or spirituality because they think it's all just airy-fairy. So when I use the words, what about your nature? What is your nature? Do you mm. know what your nature is? And in that space, we hope that brings up your values. And so essentially, that doesn't necessarily fit in the body realm kind of talks to the mind realm, but we're in the spirit realm without using those words because sometimes those words are loaded with preconceived notions and it can cause a subconscious shutdown. So yes. we're mindful to function from their nature and to honor the nature of others who disarm the field completely from shoving any sort of resistance. One of the challenges that I see over and over as I talk with my, my own clients who are athletes and coaches, as well as the other, call them coaches and practitioners, is that athletes these days have reached a position of really being orchestrated and put down a path and losing sight of, A, their kind of sovereign ability to run their life. They are orchestrated or hour by hour in college, they don't have a lot of free time. And by the time they are either done with their collegiate sports or their professional sports, they don't know anything other than, oh, I'm an athlete. And they have lost, yeah. as you call it, your nature. They have forgotten what their nature is. How can we, how can we do a better job with these, with this? It's such a great question. 
this is a space where not only honoring our nature, but the ability to really slow down and be with it. Because I think when we're in that chapter of life where it's everything is scheduled and especially athletes sort of training to be super champs with everything they do to get them to sort of slow down and no longer be bullied by time and schedule and those sorts of limits, they really drop into their nature. They really begin to experience their nature when you're not, because if we're constantly just showing up for our schedule, which is important sometimes, but if that's what we get so used to, that is all we know, we sort of leave behind our nature or it's an afterthought. And eventually we begin to feel hollow. And so there's nothing wrong with keeping the schedule. So long as you can, in your, in your mind, body, spirit, essence, and alignment, allow yourself to no longer be bullied by it, but show up to it. Do you see the difference? It's, it's one is commanding your essence and the other is I'm sharing my essence with. I'll ask you for some practical advice for our listeners. One of the things that a simple turn of phrase, and I'm not big on words with my clients. I prefer the EFT and process healing and things where they can kind of do things subconsciously. However, one cognitive twist that I like to give people is the words, I get to whatever that thing is that they're supposed to do, or as opposed to saying, I have to, I have to do some work for my boss. I get to do some work for my boss. It's a funny thing. You could hear it in my voice. Even I just said it. It's hard to yeah. feel burdened, burdened when you use those. What is a, what is another way that these very scheduled athletes, and I know, uh, you know, you're aware of this, but for, just to remind everybody, we have athletes now in college who have 6 a.m. workouts. I mean, their day is starting really early and it's tight. They have classes, they got to study, then they have perhaps an, even an afternoon workout practice as well. It's a long day. And so what can they do to stay connected to their nature? You know, there's a few things that I would look at in this space. It's such an important thing too, because if we get run down by our schedule, like I said, we become so hollow that we just go through the motions. We become so robotic. And at the end of the day, that's where you see some athletes sort of crash out, make a major change that they might regret. So I think there's a couple of things to look at. One is similar to what you were saying, care versus concern. When we show up in care, we, because we know that we care about these things, we care about our bodies versus showing up through concern. I'm concerned about X, Y, Z. I'm concerned about my body. I'm concerned about my schedule. It's a complete different approach. And when you show up in care, you have your essence and your presence to share. When you show up in concern, you manipulate the situation. So this is what it, this is a, an example of what it sounds like. Hey, Scott, how's your day? I care about how you're feeling. Or, hey, Scott, how's your day? I'm concerned about how you're feeling. Wow, I just felt a huge difference running through me when I was envisioning that. Right, so, but the funny thing is we often confuse the two and think, Concern equals care. Well, you don't care about me because you're not concerned. So we manipulate, we can manipulate circumstances and situations. So when we have these athletes that are so driven to perform and achieve, 
and possibly driven just to see results. So long as they can maintain connection with what they care about, what they value, of course, what we, what is the why? Not so much about the results or the outcome, but what is the why? Why am I doing this? Because I care about, you know, X, Y, Z, or I value X, Y, Z. Then we stay intact. Our integrity stays in place. But the moment we disgrace ourselves or others with concern, we step out of our true nature. We step out of authenticity. And that's when we start to see people sort of act out of character. Mm, yeah. So acting out of character. So that, that is a, uh, by definition, saying that there is a true character that's out there. And uh, I think that's what gets squelched by our very results-driven society. And there's some good that comes out of wanting results. However, it can also feel overwhelming at times because we end up using that measuring stick as the sole measuring stick. You know, we see it with athletes. Like if they don't set a PR that day, it's a bad day, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, um, I love what you said about the why versus results, why versus results. And so, um, tell us how you connect somebody with their why. You know, it's, I think all of us can relate to moments in our life where we've become aware that we've stepped out of our integrity. We've stepped out of our character because we want something or possibly because we're comparing we're seeing other people achieve results and success and perhaps take that as our personal failure because we haven't achieved that level or our own goals. And when we play that comparison game, that's when we have neglected and abandoned our true nature and our passion in it, in whatever we embark upon. The way that I connect people to their why is reminding them if you become attached to the outcome, you're not present in the journey. If you're just concerned about crossing the threshold and getting the trophy instead of the quality of run you perform during the race, you're not going to have a quality run. You're going to be so concerned and worried about crossing the finish line that you're probably going to trash yourself in the process. Oh man, I'm going to jump in on that for a second because we're in that moment. And so anybody who hasn't, you know, read up on some amazing athletes or seen them in the press, you know, Michael Phelps, you know, most decorated Olympian and, and, uh, Simone Biles, who pulled out of competition during the Olympics and all sorts of wow. professional athletes in, in every sport have now stepped forward and in some case, um, left. Let's see, let me do the digits here. Eight digit salaries. You know, we're talking 10 million plus per year because they have recognized they are, they are miserable. You know, they are unhappy people and, uh, they have, as you say, uh, deviated from the quality of the experience and focused solely on winning that championship or winning that medal or whatever it may be. And that's sad. It, you know, it's, uh, it's led to a lot of mental health issues as we've talked about, uh, offline. There are increase in suicides and athletes actually, they used to think athletes might have, um, better mental health because they have a physical outlet. Turns out from the studies, it's the opposite. They have added pressures that they're not able to deal with. And so, uh, mental health 
and suicides among athletes is at a greater rate than the general public. Um, it's well, really, yeah, it's sobering, it, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's, it's, it's heartbreaking because you see them in their passion and the thing that they love. But the, the, the bottom drops out when they become invisible to themselves or their coach or others, their team in the process because it's almost as if in that realm they're looked at and valued based upon their performance based upon their results rather than the full package as a human being with a life and a story and i think that that piece has gone missing that sure we have a superstar athletic performer but are we also acknowledging their home life, their family life, who this individual is off the court or off the field? Because that's where if we can make those acknowledgements and keep that in place and keep space for it, we allow the richness to come from the soul and not just the body. Because we, you know, like I do, Scott, the body will run out. <laughs> the body is not Amen. powered by itself. It's powered by the spirit. And so if the spirit isn't spirited, if it's not enriched, it's going to wither. It's going to run tired. And that's when we start, sometimes we start to go on overdrive. We try, try harder. We overcompensate. All the while feeling invalid unless we're achieving results. And sometimes I think there's this pressure too, where if you set the bar so high in your career, now you have to keep it there or higher. And you're invalid if you can't or you don't or you're not valuable. Um, and that's where I think a lot of that mental health crisis comes in because um, sometimes I think individuals don't necessarily, they don't want more coaching. They want acknowledgement, just acknowledgement. I, I had a wonderful friend in the, in the sports business here um, who was a high level collegiate athlete. And she said to me, Scott, I just, when I was in college, I just wished that my coach would act human. And what she meant was she just wanted somebody to talk to, to say, Hey, yeah. I, I just feel really off. And, you know, can you acknowledge that? So it's amazing. That's a yeah. very simple tip is to, you know, look at your, yeah. look at your athletes as people who just want to talk. Yeah. Cause I think we live in a culture now that we're so obsessed with problem solution. We forget how to just acknowledge. And, and when and it's a big part of the work that I do is, is the moment people hear psychic or intuitive coach, um, they just want to be told what to do. And that's the worst way to cross someone's will, to tell them what to do, tell them how to be. And so in the space of an athlete, you know, oh, you didn't meet the mark today. This is what you do better tomorrow. Instead of going, hey, what's going on? What's in your space? You know? Yeah. So it's it's, it's such a shift. So maybe we can say for coaches listening here is um, be inquisitive. You know, uh, well, let's, let's see if we can get into the habit of uh, leaving the judgment to the side for a moment, which is really challenging as a coach. I've been there. I've got coached sure. for 30 plus years in youth sports. Um, and to get into, yeah, that questioning, that being, being curious, I'll, I'll call it. And uh, I, I think a virtue to put in place, um, probably anywhere, but especially 
in, in sports is to be present, not perfect, because we strive for perfection and we, we break ourselves along the way. We break our spirit. We break our own hearts when we strive to be perfect instead of present. When, I mean, think about what happens when you're present, truly, deeply, profoundly present. You're fully intact with your body. Your agility is off the charts. Your, your clarity of thinking, your performance. So when we go back to striving for presence instead of perfection, we that literally, figuratively, we can change the game. <laughs> well, you know. I'm going to, I love what your new website, by the way, Kimberly has a new website and it's beautiful. And uh, Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. in there, you talk about, you just have a brief statement about being in flow. And that's language that comes out of, uh, or at least is used in the athletic world as well. Um, what does that mean to you, being in flow? Man, this is something that I hold so dear to my heart. You know, being, to me, being in the flow means being so profoundly, deeply accepting of yourself. It's the, it's the simultaneity of, the simultaneous effect of being unapologetically yourself and complete permission to be yourself at the same time. I'm unapologetically myself. I, I walk with forgiveness in my bones to be who I am. And in that, you know, that's where I become so deeply, my deliverance is presence, not perfection. And so, so then of course, you know, we collapse the gap between the two of those because we go, well, everything's perfectly imperfect anyways. Right. Right. You know, and when we can allow ourselves to be so deeply in tune with ourselves that we, there's no shame. There's, there's no, there's none of that story. That's when we become so profoundly present that we are, we're in and through ourselves and our body. That's the flow state. That's when you are so in the universe of yourself that you are experiencing your interaction within yourself and the world around you simultaneously. I, I, I'm going to jump in on that because I, I think that if, you, if anybody has been an athlete for long enough, there are those micro moments where we, we accidentally get into flow. And it is the most amazing things. And I remember those at bats. Uh, I was a baseball player in college and in high school. And I remember those moments, even in football, which is a little different, it's a lot different atmosphere. I can remember those moments where I swung the bat in, and uh, I just crushed the ball. And I remember thinking, who swung that bat? I, I was almost an out-of-body experience almost. Uh, yeah. Just like, what, what just happened? It was beautiful. And I could barely feel the ball hit the bat. And uh, that, the, as I say, though, those were kind of accidental. Can somebody... Effortless. Effortless, yes, yes. Yeah. What about, you know, deliberate creation of those moments, which is really what you're describing. That is... That is a, uh, a different work, we'll call it. How Absolutely. do we get there? You know, it is, it is different. You know, there's, there's moments where you are so in essence with yourself, so unapologetically in full permission to be yourself in the moment that you're naturally in the flow state without trying, without effort. Sometimes when we try, you know, we, we yep. jump ship in the effort. Um, when... You know, when I coach my clients to get into the flow state or how do we get back in the flow state? First, it's, it's 
dropping the idea of achieving any sort of outcome. It's how you think you're going to feel when you're there. Um, because we're always trying to arrive. And the funny thing is we never really arrive. We just experience. And when, when we're really wanting to get back in the feeling of that, you know, we, a couple of things we have to acknowledge here, um, whatever we focus on expands and grows. Science has proven that we know that. As well as energy follows direction. Energy doesn't have direction, chaos ensues. So that's why it's so important to be very mindful, practice mindfulness of the direction of, of your flow, uh, your thought, the flow of your thoughts. Because if your thoughts are arguing with each other, your body's going to do the same, and so is your reality. If your thoughts are in alignment with, body and your actions essentially you'll experience that flow state so i you know i i coach people all the time to first figure out what you want what do you want but you can't get attached to the outcome of it how it's going to happen just know what you want have clarity around it and put your attentions to it because when you practice aligning to something through intention you become one with it that's when manifestation occurs. All right, let me stop you there because uh, this is great. Um, one is have have a step here. What you want? That's step one. Decide what you want, which is so mm -hmm. funny. Uh, yeah, we talk about. I with my clients, I use the term autopilot. You can wake up and you can just go through the day and nearly not think about what you want, which is an amazing period of of uh, the era in which we live. There's a lot of affluence, even if at the lower mm -hmm. rungs of society, most people still have the ability to have someplace to sleep and something to eat, which has never been the case in humanity, <laughs> at least not in the last yeah. 5,000 years. And then secondly, put an intention to it. I'll share with uh, listeners here that before we started this podcast, um, Kimberly and, and I just ad hoc uh, got into a little breathing and meditative state, and we both had an intention for this podcast. And we stated those out loud. We can state those to ourselves um, throughout the day. Um, could you describe what an intention is? Because some people think it's a goal. Right. I don't believe that that's always the case. An intention is, in, in my personal opinion and belief in work, it is what you wish to experience and what you are aligning to. We have to acknowledge we're always emoting something. We're always putting something out based on how we feel. And so... When you choose, this is the space where I call it, um, it's kind of playful because to me, the more playful, the better. I call it being unafraid to be alive. And, and I'll give some examples in a moment of, of how I play with this space because it can be so much fun um, if you let it. And attention is basically what you're choosing to align to based on what you wish to experience in life. And that's the difference between creating the experience you want and reacting to what's going on around you. An, ex an example is, uh, and this is like, I just do goofy stuff like this all the time just to kind of go, it's like a checkpoint. Mm -hmm. I was in Asheville, North Carolina um, the last few days. I got home Sunday. And while I was there, I went out to dinner one night to an Italian restaurant and it was unbelievably incredibly delicious and i was like oh my god so good i'm going back tonight you know 
night two, I go back for seconds and I get there and they're like, oh, it's going to be at least an hour and a half wait. And I was like, oh man, like put my name on the list anyway. It's fine. I'll, I'll go find a cup of coffee or something. So I walked down the street. As soon as I left the restaurant, I, this is where I practice. I'm unafraid to be alive in this. Okay. I said to myself, I have it that I'm going to get a call back within 20 minutes. My table's ready. Not waiting an hour and a half because that doesn't work for me. Not what's best for me. So, you know, it's, it's not about waiting and just reacting to what you're given. It's about creating, participating. So I get a text message 10 minutes later, your table's ready. I'm like, boom. Okay, there it is. Let's go. And, and I do stuff like that often in, in the words that I put it in is I have it that. Because I think that we forget. First and foremost, half the time we're not even working on what we want. Have you answered that question for yourself lately? Have you taken a step back in your life and going, wait, would I choose this? What's going on in my life right now? Would I choose this? If the answer is no, you need to look around and figure out where your unmet needs are that's allowing you to allow this. Then if, if the answer is no, you go, okay, how can I, what do I need to create? What do I want? A lot of times we don't know what we want or we don't know that we're worthy of it. Here's what I've been coaching people around. How do, how do you get to know what you want or that you're worthy of it? Because mm. those are some big weird things that we hold on to as humans. You, go, you have to go back to what you value. That's going to be the set of metrics that you gauge your life against always. You know, we see people acting out of character on the streets and doing things that we think is against our values. Of course, that's what helps us figure out where we fit in and how we take action in our life based on what we value. And then so you go, okay, am I worthy of what I want? My intention, here's my intention. This is what I'm aligning to. I intend today to experience joy. I intend to manifest unforeseen opportunities of abundance. I'm aligning to that. So when you set the intention, you also have to act in that direction. You can't contradict yourself or it doesn't really work. When you act in the direction of it, you have to let go of how it comes, how it manifests. So, and this is how we see, you know, incredible, spontaneous, sort of miraculous things happen because the mind keeps us small, keeps us in a box most of the time. If we can put the mind aside, that's when we see supernatural things happen. Oh, I so, love it. I'm going to jump in on that. So, <laughs> step three here for people who are keeping track. Um, <laughs> Act in the direction of the intention. So again, it was, what do you want? That was number one. Number two is have an intention and then act in the direction of that intention. And, and I love a phrase that I picked up from, you know, one of the many teachers that I have, I have is um, drop the how and the when, right? Yeah. It's like, what, what do I want? And then the universe is going to, to somehow deliver this in some way. That's the how. And the when is, again, we don't really know. Yeah. That, that, those I, words make sense for you? Absolutely. And I think in the, in the world of um, athletes, they are seen a lot of times, merely seen and acknowledged for the outcome instead of the journey. 
And that's where we have to go back and be intentional to put richness back into the acknowledgement of the journey, the path. You know, if if it wasn't for the heart that put into the game, it wouldn't be a game. There wouldn't be a game. And the outcome is just the beauty and the bliss of what the path represents. And I think the acknowledgement in that space is so key to the health um, of the athletes, to the health of, of everybody around the athletes too. You know, the, the results are just the, the effect, but the, the acknowledgement has to be a broader spectrum. That's awesome. So I'll share one time in my young athletic life when I was in high school, as an example of this is I was, um, I don't know, I somehow got exposed to visualization. And again, I, I think I've always been interested in non-physical as it relates to driving physical. And I was, um, just playing around with this. I was at night lying in bed, visualizing, uh, getting an interception in football. And, um, I in envisioned it a very specific way. I still remember this, that I would leap up and I would, uh, it was, a, it would be a pass over the middle and I would leap up and I would grab it and I would run with it. Well, two days later, we have a, we have a game and, um, there was a pass. I dropped back into my zone and I saw that the pass was to the outside. My cornerback teammate um, ran really hard and he smacked the receiver as soon as the ball touched the receiver. And before that even happened, I started sprinting over there in a way that was unusually fast. <laughs> and the ball popped up in the air. I got it and I ran for a touchdown. It didn't unfold exactly as I had envisioned it, but the universe delivered it, which is an amazing thing. Yeah, And um, again, it's an example of, we know what we want, how that's going to happen. It just is not going to be always exactly as us humans have, uh, have envisioned. And certainly when, you know, when, what would you say right. to somebody um, who says, gosh, I just heard your story, Kimberly, about somehow inter intervening and getting into that restaurant sooner than they told you. Why doesn't that work all the time? And this is from somebody's perspective. Yeah. Um, a, a couple of reasons why it wouldn't work because you're attached. Attachment causes resistance. Attachment meaning you want it to happen a certain way or you're concerned about it happening. Those energies are deflective. We... You can only bring things to you by faith, by, by the attractive force of faith, allowance, acceptance, and, and the ability to receive. Because you can ask all day long for something and try to attract it or manifest it, whatever. If you are unable to receive, and I'll give an example, um, you'll never truly be awake to it, even though it's all around you. Here's an example. I'm always doing visualizations of abundance, right? I'm always trying to manifest abundance. It just doesn't happen. And then friend takes you out to lunch. Friend says, hey, let me pay for lunch. And you say, no, no, you don't have to do that. That's nice. Thank you. But you don't have to pay for my lunch, yeah. right? You were actively deflecting. You can't yeah. receive. So here's the thing with the language of the universe. It doesn't pick and choose where it delivers, it's, it's all encompassing. It's all inclusive. 
but our minds are trained to, to think in an exclusive manner. When we become all inclusive by nature or remind ourselves that it's across the board, so to speak, um, that's one of the ways that we allow the, the things to come to us that we're intending. The key is couple an intention with the ability to receive and you'll manifest what you want. Another reason why it wouldn't work is because there's an attachment to the outcome. And, and of course, that means you are concerned about how it's going to happen, when it's going to happen, uh, what avenue it's going to travel through to get to you. You know, like let's say you were trying to manifest a new home. All you have to know, or, or you're trying to manifest a higher score in sports or something, you know, all you have to know is that reality, the, the feeling, the outcome reality. But the moment you're emotionally attached to it, is the moment you charge it. When, an, when, a, when a field becomes charged with an emotion, it becomes the reality of that emotion instead of the true reality of, of the circumstances. So when we become concerned and attached to the outcome, well, I want my house to be here. I want my house to look like this. And it's probably going to have, you know, this many square feet. When we become attached to it, we're losing the picture. The picture of the, the reality, the manifestation is getting diluted. So all we have to do is align to the reality and allow ourselves to feel it. It's like another example I'll share. I had the most incredible time about four weeks ago. I went to Hawaii and it was one of those trips where everything was so profoundly woven in my favor. It started to freak me out. It's like. I felt so seen and heard by the universe. I was, you know, about to flip out. So long story short, I go to Hawaii all by myself. This is my first solo trip. Um, I arrive long after hours of, of the rental car agency. They were closed and I'm freaking out going, man, my Airbnb is on the North Shore. How am I going to get there? You know, my, the rental car place is closed. And then I was like, wait a minute. As I'm waiting for my luggage, I'm like, hold on. Let's reel it back in here. I'm a creator. So I have it that there's a car waiting for me. And it's going to work out just fine. I get my luggage and I just decide to go upstairs anyways and check, knowing that they closed at 11 p.m. and it's almost midnight. And sure enough, there's a woman sitting there at the counter. And I come in, my eyes wide open. And I, I was like, oh my gosh, you're here. She goes, you must be Kimberly. And I'm like, yeah. She's like, well, your name's on the list. I waited for you. I was like, oh my God, thanks for waiting. You could have gone home. And she said, well, of course, you know, overly nice and sweet. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like I thought for sure there'd be no car. This is a solo trip. My fiance and I just broke up. This was supposed to be our trip. So I'm here and I don't really know why. And oh my gosh. And she goes, well, but there is one thing. And I'm like, okay, what is it? She's like, there's only one car left. You know, because it's a, it's an island. They have their inventory is not so big. Right. She said, "If it's okay with you, we have to give you a luxury upgrade to a BMW convertible." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my god, incredible! Absolutely, it's okay with me." So here's your contract. Sign the papers. Go outside to the garage. And and then the, the woman waiting outside said, "Here's the keys. Take your pick." 
Wow. Just magic, just pure magic. Wow. There was a whole row of them. <laughs> there wasn't just one, there was a whole row. So things like that continued to happen because I created it, right? Without, it, without attaching to the outcome, I said, you know what? I have it that there's a vehicle waiting. It's going to be fine. I don't care if it's a minivan. I don't care if it's a moped. Whatever to get me to the North Shore, I'm in Hawaii. It doesn't matter. I didn't attach to the, the, mm. the way it manifested. And, but see, here's the thing too. You have to let the energy transfer. When I said, I have it that something's available for me, I felt the relief. You know, I allowed the energy to transfer. I felt the relief. Um, it happened. It manifested. And then it, yeah. it was just an incredible line of events like that just kept happening. Yeah. So I'm going to jump in on that again, our, our, our little list here, which is awesome. Um, I put in here, you know, number, number four, and we'll get back to the whole list eventually is to really move forward in faith, allowance and acceptance, because that is the language of the universe. And number five, so huge here, which is you said, essentially experience the feeling, the feeling mm -hmm. of, Hey, there's going to be a car and generating that feeling. Um, you studied quantum physics. Please explain why that feeling is important. Yeah. Um, the same thing with sports, you know, if you wish to experience a, a play workout in a certain way or achieve results or win the race, you know, I keep referring to race because I used to run track. <laughs> so, um, it's when you allow the energy to transfer and you emote the reality, a couple of things occur. First and foremost, we know that our nervous system can't determine the difference between a thought and an action. So when you think something, not only is your mind thinking it, is your spirit beginning to feel it, but then you preparing your body to, to go through it. Okay, so there's a mind-body-spirit coherence. But then we go a little bit further and we speak to the metaphysics of this. The quantum mechanics of this is such that when you begin to emote a new reality, Newton proved to us, and so did Einstein, that you cannot have any sort of action without equal opposite reaction mm -hmm. because everything's related. Everything is touching, basically, which is beautiful because then you go, oh gosh, nothing's off limits, actually. Holy cow. What have I been doing playing these games of myself this whole time thinking everything's out of reach? Everything's just one degree removed. Yeah. All it takes is a yes. So when you, you know, when you wish to, to allow that transfer to happen, to make something occur, so to speak, make sounds a little forceful. It's not really the right, right word here. But to manifest, um, the importance of the energy transfer is, is because when you emote a new reality, the entire ecosystem that is swirling around you has no choice but to calibrate to that. And the thing is, the universe, the world around you, is always, always calibrating to what you think, hear, feel, and do. You know, when you, yeah. when you begin to, it's just like, you know, think about it for a moment. When you're having a crappy day, you get a flat tire and you go, oh, of course, what next? You've willed to yourself 
by saying what next and going into that feeling more of the same um, occurrences. You get home, you unload the groceries, you spill blueberries all over the floor, and then you step on them, make a mess. Oh, of course that would happen. You know, it's the kind of day I'm having, right? So we continue to will that energy to ourselves. So the universe is calibrating. The universe is bending and moving everything in favor of what you are. That's why we say it's so important, not what you do, but what you be. When you be in grace, just like, you know, these wonderful, magnificent, big-bodied football players or whatever they are, these athletes that are, you know, so big in their training and so on, but we focus on precision and agility and lightness on our feet when we drop into the power and the essence of our being, then what we are doing matches the beauty of what we're being. Do you see what I'm saying? When the being is enriched and intact, then the doing follows that nature. And so the universe can't not respond. Just like your physical body can't not respond to what your mind is thinking and what your spirit is emoting. I love that. And and uh, as look, I'm not I'm not trained in quantum physics. I'm I'm definitely fascinated by it. And uh, they talk about there being an infinite number of timelines out there. And yeah, uh, and mm. the way the uh, the ancients, the indigenous peoples, and the way we do it too, but they were aware of it was to manifest a timeline through their emotions, and we may mm. call it prayer. Um, the, the, the way a lot of indigenous peoples would pray is to feel, they would imagine and feel it. And that is that prayer. And I'm stealing from Greg Braden on that a little bit. And he's a great scientist and talks a lot about consciousness. I love when spirituality and science come together. We've not perfected that yet in our, our understanding. And that's great. I love the mystery of it. What's very feels clear, clearer and clearer in my own journey is that there are these infinite numbers of possibilities in the universe. And in quantum physics, um, they say that everything has happened at once. There really is no past and future. Everything's mm -hmm. out there. And those who have had near-death near experiences or mystical experiences and have felt that oneness will say exactly the same thing, that everything's yeah. out there at one time and we get to select, and a great analogy, forgive me for stealing some time here from you, a great yes. analogy is uh, the editor of a movie in the old days when there would be film. So if the film clips were spread out on a desk, that editor would be selecting a chunk, putting it in place, let another one put it in place. And then when yeah. it happens really rapidly, it's seamless. And that is uh, yeah. The analogy I like is that it's happening so rapidly here as humans. It's, you know, happened, I don't know, whatever the number is, millions or billions of times a second. We don't notice it. We just have continuation of day to day. Um, yeah. Apparently, though, there is this, what you've described, the ability to pick a clip by putting our, deliberately putting our intention and feelings out into the universe. Yes, it's. When you realize a couple things, everything is a relationship. Everything. Everything you could possibly experience is a relationship. When you're willing to acknowledge that deeply, hopefully, I would, I would assume that the effect would be 
you realize that that grants you access to your desired outcome. Because then all you have to do is acknowledge the relationship and then begin the, the relationship, begin the relativity. And so in that space, you realize nothing is separate, nothing's off limits, nothing is removed. It's just a matter of, like you said, taking a focal point and acknowledging the relationship. And, and the amazing thing is, you can wake up every day and, and choose something different again and again and again. And that's, that's the beauty of living a consciously mindful life is, is when you're unafraid to be alive and, and create because you did the work and you know what you want and you're not afraid to ask for it. You're not afraid to show up for it. Not so much about the chase. It's just being in the being and experiencing the doings that come along with it. The, the, the chase, you know, the hustle culture, the chase, the grinding, like we got to get away from that thought space, you know, those words and that mm -hmm. mentality, because man, if, 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 if we know anything, hopefully we know that that will hollow us out grinding after something. Now I'm not saying that hard work doesn't prove results. Of course it does, but you can will it to yourself, you know, and when you function by the way of your nature and doing so, because you allow yourself to relate to it, then you will it to yourself, you manifest. And, and like you were saying, some of these incredible um, tribesmen, these indigenous individuals have that figured out. It's, it's not about, you see, you know, that's karma. The action is karma. Karma is not a bad thing, but it is, it is a symptom of the being, so to speak. So the being, what we be, what we emote, proves reality, proves results. And like you said, it's an infinite. The number of possibilities we can change and rewrite any given situation or scenario as many times as we wish. I want to jump in on storylines. That is a phrase that I, I use a lot with my clients is we accept storylines that, frankly, somebody else created. Yes. And one storyline is, man, the way to get what you want is to work hard. And, and more is better in the world of athletic training. I see it all the time. If you look on my website, I talk about that too, is that, uh, you know, I learned that I could work really hard and I was, I could become something better. And the subtext of all of that was yes. And I'm destroying my body at the same time. You can get that right. short burst of, of better performance. To be sustainable, though, it can't be that. It cannot be, I'm going to work myself into the dust here. And I cringe yeah. now when I see, uh, especially collegiate, but sometimes even high school now, young kids who are being called out at 6, 7 a.m. to go do a workout because more is better and we're going to work on this and we don't have time later in the day. Like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. That's just not good for physiology. It's not good for right. and you I know, anything. I think that's the cycle that drives us to my value is, and my purpose in this life is the results I can attain. And you can't, there is nobody out there. <laughs> this is might you know, be a big statement, but you can't do your value. You, you be your value. There's a big difference. You be 
your part, you know, your purpose has nothing to do with what you do. Your value, your worthiness is not what you do. It's the quality of what you radiate. It's the quality of your being. The, the symptoms and the side effects of that is, is woven into what you do. And then, of course, the outcomes of the doings. But I think that that hustle culture and that wake up earlier and get more done in the day, more and more and more is better. Now you're high achieving. Now you're valuable. That's what follows us out. And we know that, but it, you know, we're, not, we're just now getting a handle on it, maybe, or raising awareness around it. Yeah. And I think when we, when we reel it back in and maintain awareness that it's, it's in the being, you cannot do your value. You can't do your purpose. Your purpose is already being had through your life force, through the, the, the essence that is you. The value is you. And when that is intact, that translates in what we do. The big difference in being and doing. Doing's the action. Being is the spirit. Being is is the essence. And that's what keeps us healthy. That's what keeps us intact and fully embodied when we do the doing. I love this. And just to make it practical again for coaches, let's think about this, coaches. Um, You've got athletes, we've said here, and if you are open to this, we have said that um, the most important thing to really creating what somebody wants is the feeling. And so I would ask everybody or challenge everybody who's listening here, how much time do we spend with our athletes and ourselves practicing the feeling of something, setting an intention and feeling through it? What would it feel like to hit that home run? Or what would it feel like to see the team come together yeah. in a way that is cohesive. Yeah. Um, and, and I think just to kind of build on that a little bit, when you plug into the feeling of it, you're acknowledging your relationship to it because you'll meet people that say, I can't feel it. I don't know. I, I don't know how to, yeah. I don't know how to do that. I can't feel that. And so that's where we go, okay, let's look at the relationship. What's in your space? How are you relating to this or lack thereof? Because we have to acknowledge that mystic, invisible piece of relationship. If you are deeply related to and connected to your writing, you're probably going to produce amazing pieces. If your relationship is not so healthy, same thing, right? Complete opposite outcome. If your relationship to your, your avenue of wealth or athleticism is unhealthy because you're feeling invalid as an athlete and, and basically feeling like your validity is based on the results you can perform, we, we are creating ghosts. Uh, we're, we're creating and hollowing out individuals who, who have the embodiment, they have the drive. But because that, that piece can often go missing of what's your relationship. And, and then that lends itself to the space of, let's move through the feeling, okay? Even so, if your relationship at this time is unhealthy and you're mad at soccer or you're mad at football or whatever your, your thing is, because it's creating this feeling of alienation or whatever you're experiencing, you have to go into that feeling because there's a there's an age-old saying in the world of shamanism, if you can't reveal it, you can't heal it. If you can't reveal it to yourself, there's no way you can heal it. So if you're hiding something or putting it away, putting it away, 
and just showing up and performing, wow. that pain body's going to come back. Well, I'm going to jump in on that too. Uh, I, I love the work that I do, especially with, with athletes that have severe trauma and every trauma can in, be labeled severe, um, the perception of the, the person who experienced it. But I love those situations where they have been hiding um, that great trauma that humans can foist on others, whether it's abuse, uh, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, et cetera. And it will come out and many athletes are embarrassed to step forward because they've been uh, convinced that they have to be a certain way. They have to be tough. They have to you know, ha have a veneer of acceptability in social media or whatever it may be, and they suffer. And so it's a great joy to help somebody um, uncover that subconscious pain that they have buried. And I know you do that so beautifully. Um, Thank you. Absolutely. You know, it's just to kind of build on that a little bit, Scott, it's, that's the definition of vulnerability is powerful um, in the sense of, does it mean, here's, the, here's where that gets twisted. People often think that vulnerability means I share everything about me to the public. And that's not so much the case. It's as long as you can be vulnerable enough to know it, see it, face it, feel it, then you can move through it. It's unprocessed energy. It becomes charged and stagnates if you hide from it. Um, and when we are willing to fully reveal all of us to ourselves, nothing has leverage over us, meaning if we're still hiding something from ourselves and other people, there's this weird sort of um, void that we create within ourselves. If we're willing to fully own and honor everything that we are, everything that we feel, that we've been through, um, that vulnerability creates a sense of power that's not a controlling kind of power. It's a presence power. You deliver yourself deeply in your own self-cultivation. And again, it doesn't have to be shared to be owned as vulnerability. But when you're willing to face all of you to yourself, um, major transformation occurs. And, and I'll have to share this quick story. Yeah, please do. I don't know. I, had a, I kind of like love to throw myself in discomfort just to see what happens. It's kind of reckless. As a oh, gentleman. you're brave. <laughs> so this was definitely a story of bravery. When I was in Hawaii, I went by myself and it was just this, this solo trip of, I'm going to do all the things that feel uncomfortable and just see what happens. Um, so an, a, a little side note to make this make sense. I got invited to the home of Ram Das um, while I was there, which blew my mind. I was unbelievably humbled and grateful. Okay. So but just have, have that little side note. So I get to I'm staying on Oahu on the North Shore. Um, and I'm aware that there's a nude beach. My sister used to live there. So she was telling me all the places you got to go. She's like, you got to go to the nude beach. Just check it out. And I'm like, okay, sounds interesting. <laughs> so, never done that before. so I get there. And of course, Hawaii is incredibly beautiful. All of it. Um, this particular beach was so stunning. Um, there's no high rises anywhere on the North shore. So it's just that wonderful quaint feel. You get to the beach, you go right. That's the nude beach. You go left. That's like the normal wear your swimsuit. 
And I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm going far right. <laughs> We're going to see what this is all about. Because I wanted to challenge myself for some reason. I don't know why I was pulled to do this. And I get there and I'm like, okay, well, I found the nude beach. Everybody here is nude and unbelievably free in their nudity. Like I'd never seen anything like it. Never been to a public nude anything. So I keep walking and walking to find a place where there's, you know, a little bit of space between people. There was only, you know, I would say maybe 35 people on the beach. It wasn't a ton of people, which is one of the reasons why it's now my favorite beach. And so I decided to put my little towel down and I'm sitting there in my swimsuit and everybody else is not. I'm like, okay, to my right, there's a gentleman about 20 feet. To my left, there's a gentleman about 15 feet. You know, on down a little bit, there's another couple. And I'm sitting here and I start to psych myself out. I'm like, okay, Kim, well, you're here. Are you going to do it? You're going to get nude like everybody else, right? So the, the game starts. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know. Like this, they look incredibly beautiful because they're so free. Can I do this? So I got the courage to remove my top and I sit there like a nervous wreck. And I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. All right, it's not so bad. All right, you know, I can do this. I'm here, it's fine. I'm still breathing, it's fine. <laughs> and I'm scared to death. And I'm like, oh, but you didn't come here to do this half-ass. Like, you don't do anything half-ass. You go all in or you go home, right? Like, I'm bullying myself. Yeah. Missing the point. And I'm like, hey, but you got to do this, you're here. So, and then I risk, suddenly I realize I'm the only fool with a swimsuit on. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> hold on. I'm freaking out seeing my swimsuit off. I'm the only one with something on. I'm like, well, am I going to take off my bottoms? So my swimsuit was the kind that ties on the side of the hips. And so like a big old chicken, I sit there and I just untie the sides and I just don't move. I'm like, okay, good, good. It's untied. So I did it. <laughs> and there's still that thing in me going, nah, no, you didn't. No, you didn't do it. So I'm like, sure, well, I'm not getting up. I'm not walking in front of everybody. Right? So this whole time, I was telling myself, like, this, this little swimsuit, that's all you have left to hide behind. You're going to move, you're going to remove that. You ready? You know? And suddenly, so I removed my swimsuit. And, and this is when God played a big old fat joke on me. And I'm like, I ain't getting that. I ain't walking in front of people with no clothing on. All of a sudden, these magnificent whales start jumping and breaching out of the water. And I jump up with my phone and take off to go take pictures and videos of these whales and suddenly realize I'm butt naked in front oh. of Old Beach. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, good one, God. You got me up off my yeah, phone. Only, only took, you know, several tons of, of uh, sea life. <laughs> it took, right. It took a couple hours to get to yeah. point. But the moral of the story is, so I go to Baba's house, Baba Ram Das. Um, they gifted me his book, Be Here Now. And one of the first pages I opened to blew my mind. It said um, something along the lines of when you, when you stop hiding, you suddenly ask yourself, who are you hiding from? And yeah. I thought, oh my gosh, I was hiding from myself. Yeah. Nobody here gave a shit what I was wearing or not. They were already free. They were already having lovely conversations, enjoying the water. And I was over here having this massive internal battle because I had put some stuff away. I created that void that eventually is going to come back up, you know? And so that's, that's why I share that because it's, you know, when, when we become so vulnerable 
that we stop hiding from ourselves and stop hiding things about ourselves or whatever. Fully embrace all that you are. That thing can trump that. When you are in alignment with yourself, nothing can trump that. And that's so important because when you're ready to, when you know what you want and you have that clarity and you're ready to manifest and you're aligned, there's a sense of commitment and devotion that takes over that again, nothing can penetrate that force field. And that's, that's where I get all, I geek out on like the quantum mechanics of the connectivity, you know, the quantum physics, the metaphysics of what's happening in this space, what's swirling around and, you know, activating in this space. Um, but I think, you know, if we can challenge ourselves, I think contentment causes the soul to die. If we challenge ourselves in a healthy way, um, the outcome can be miraculous. It right. can be incredible. That's that's an awesome story um, in itself, and it's a great metaphor for what we were talking about. Um, and it helps us with a new perspective. And you know, I wanted to ask you, um, since you are um, a great communicator with the unseen, um, spirit, we'll say, and and it's not just spirit in the form of what, what people think of as God. It is um, individuals who you know have transitioned out of this three D realm. Yeah. What do they, what, what is their perspective as they see us go through these kind of struggles, we'll call them? Yeah. You know, it's, I'll proceed my answer to that with this story. Um, as a psychic medium, I hear spirit all the time if I listen. There's times where I'm not listening just because it's uh, exhausting to walk around like that. Um they're always saying, they're always talking, they're always sharing. And it, it can be really incredible too. If we tune ourselves to that and begin to listen, um, probably saved me from a terrible incident. One time I was leaving the mall two o'clock in the afternoon and I heard, watch your back. And I was like, what? Okay. Walking out to my car, I got followed to my car. A gentleman tried to get in my car with his pants down. Like could have been terrible, but because spirits always here and always willing and ready to help. If we're just listening, it's, you know, life can be so much more rich. So what I have been hearing a lot of lately is spirit laughing and saying, if you only knew how supported you really are, if you only knew who walks with you on a daily basis, you would not be concerned about the things you're concerned about. You would go, oh, you know, it's okay. I'm going to take my hands off. No more white knuckle grip. I'm going to let this work out. You know, and it's the deliverance that I experienced on that beach was to be able to see humans in their most natural primal state was the most incredible thing. So free in our bodies and in our skin, you know, because we think about why did we start wearing clothing? Shame. Yeah. And to see that layer gone was, I still can't, I get emotional when I think about it to see, because I watched people. I, I went to, I went back every day. I was there for eight days or something like that. And I couldn't get enough of the bliss. That feeling was phenomenal just to witness people, all body types, not covered up and absolutely no shame either. Their body language, their posture did not exude shame. It exuded love and freedom. And, and that's what spirit is. They're always saying, like, 
if you just stay in that frequency, what's available to you is truly miraculous. It's mind-blowing. It's life-changing. It's earth-changing. Um, and we stop trying to force outcomes. We stop trying to achieve results. And naturally, what we achieve blows off the charts anyways, because we're in essence, in radiance. I love this. I love this so much. We're, we're absolutely have a, a, you know, a part two and three coming up. In absolutely. The um, yes. Uh, I did talk about earlier with the, uh, your ability to communicate with, um, those who have transitioned just deceased. And, uh, uh, again, this is not done in a sensational way here. This is done in a way that is, um, just letting people know that, hmm, well, like you just said, they're not alone. There's always somebody yeah. who's looking, looking out. I have a friend who says the universe is conspiring to help you all the time. And, um. If it's okay with you, I wondered if we might be able to just see if there's uh, an ability to communicate with some great coaches who, who have uh, transitioned. Sure, sure. And, and when I've... we do this, could you guide me a little bit? Is there, is it a, uh, is it a yes, no? Is it a more of an in-depth or how does this work? So when we connect to whomever you'd like to connect to, my process is, um, I, I asked for you just to offer their first name. You can share their first and last name for the sake of it, if it's a well-known coach or something. Mm -hmm. um, I then connect to the frequency of that being, so the, their name. Um, and I allow them to come through and share whatever they'd like to validate their presence first before I let them speak freely. So they'll typically validate through how they passed, their pers the nature of their personality, um, or what I call miscellaneous. They'll just share random facts and information that I would otherwise know. Um, then I open up the dialogue, allow them to speak freely and share bits and pieces of, of whatever it is that they see fit to share. Um, in that space, it's important for you as the receiver um, to acknowledge and validate what you can, because when you do, you act as a ground for them and it strengthens the whole connection. So with that being said, we, you know, we can certainly connect to, to someone. Um, sometimes the validation process can, can take some time. And sometimes this, this thing happens called psychic amnesia, where it, we sort of go into the subconscious realm as they come through. We forget what they're talking about. So I always encourage people take notes, you know, when you go through a process like this. Uh, it is not something that's meant to be sensational. That, that could be the effect that you have all kinds of sensations and feelings and so on. But um, to me, it's, it's very matter of fact. It's, it's very much, this is the nature of who we are, mm -hmm. uh, our ability to communicate this way. So it's just kind of a, a reminder of, of returning home to our hearts and our spirit. Yeah, so uh, thank you. Thank you for all of that. And the, uh, you know, the coach that, is probably universally uh, acknowledged as being one of the greatest of all time, if not the greatest, is a gentleman named John Wooden, who was the... Don't tell me anything about him. Yeah. Okay. Don't tell me yeah. anything about him. <laughs> and do you know who this is? No. You, okay. Sports is, is uh, I appreciate sports, but I'm pretty, pretty ignorant to that realm. Yeah. Well, that's good. And, uh, 
you know, rather than being very specific, um, uh, I would simply ask, what does coach think about what we've discussed? It's, a, it's been a broad range of things regarding mental health, uh, performance, spirit. And is there something else that he would like to add to this? Okay. And so his name again is John Wood. Wood. What was the last name? Yeah. John Wood and W-O-O-D-E-N. Okay. I'm just going to listen for a second and connect and then um, have him basically just align to your question. But I, I will have to validate his presence first. Sure. Um, so this is where we might get a little explore, exploratory in nature here. Um, right away, the energy goes to the heart and the chest. So I don't know if you know how this individual passed, if they had, if he had chest uh, related health issues, breathing or heart. I'm hearing, oh, this is, do you know, just yes or no, uh, that's all I wish for, just yes or no. If this individual had heart health related issues um, in his life that were ongoing or um, that maybe even impacted breathing, the energy is all going into the chest. So can you validate, do you understand that? Yes. Okay, can you share? Yeah, I don't know. Um... Uh, if he had any type of um, heart or um, breathing at the end of his life, he was um, very active during his life. I suspected he didn't um, wasn't public with that, um, and uh, I can't. I really can't validate that. Uh, okay, then. So this is something that I would encourage you to take a note of, because I'm seeing reference to heart health. I'm hearing the word stent, so I'm not sure where this belongs, but mm -hmm. I never discard anything that spirit shares. Um, sure. It's just a matter of finding where the, the puzzle fits, the puzzle piece fits. So I'm hearing the word stent. I'm, I'm referencing um, heart health issues and breathing. So all, all the energy goes into the chest. And this would be something that would be brought up to validate this person in this space here and now. So either... John himself dealt with this or somewhere there was some sort of circumstance close to him around him that was this nature. Um, man, there's, there's a lot of fixation on this. So sometimes when we can't validate something because we don't know or we're not sure, they make it bigger and louder. <laughs> That's what he's doing. <laughs> um, but we're going to kind of shift through. We're going to move through a few more things here. Maybe you can figure it out later. It depends on, you know, whatever you're comfortable with or whatever you know off the top of your head. He's also referencing the number six having some significance. Um, there's a couple of things here to look at. Six or the month of June. This could be some big month for him. I don't know if this is birthday or an anniversary or it could be something with his career having some significance. Um, but I'm, I'm seeing like I need to talk about June and July or the six and the month of July. Um, yeah, so. So uh, John Wooden died in June. Okay, perfect. So that would validate the reference to the sixth. And, and so again, the sixth would either be the sixth month or the sixth of a month. So if he passed in June, that would validate the sixth. But they feel like there's also something with July. I don't know if there was like some major success in his career in July or what July represents for him. So we'll say July is... It is the seventh month of the year, and John Wooden's teams won seven national championships in a row. Oh, wow. That's interesting. It, it very well could be. And so 
again, when I see these references, the way these symbols work are interchangeable for what they represent, meaning the seventh month could rep like the like the word July, the month of July represents the number seven. And the number seven represents July. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So we have to look at the um the dynamics of the symbols because it's not just face value. Uh, and that's why spirit talks in symbols because there's so much more meaning. Um he makes me feel as though I don't know if you can interpret this or translate what he's trying to say, but I'm going to, because he's talking right now through emotion. He's not using words. He's using emotion to describe a situation. Was there some point in his career that either he was, oh, I interpret this like, or he was underestimated greatly or almost removed? And it's this feeling of like um, underestimated or pushed out almost, but but not. And then the feeling of like this great comeback. I don't know how else to put it into words, but like <laughs> it's this feeling of like he like him being stifled, and then this major uprising like uh, of success. Yeah. So. Uh, the story, as I recall from reading about Coach, is that he came to UCLA at a time when basketball was not a big deal at that school. And he um, was was kind of shoved into the little um, workout facility where they literally were sharing space with other sports and other teams. It was not a, you know, it's not what they would have today. And mm -hmm. from that little, um, area, I want to say that the first few years, um, they did not have like championship teams. They were just doing the best they could. They had a great process and working it. And then in, uh, I want to say 60, yeah, 64, they won their first championship. I, I think, I believe it's something like he started to, um, coach and maybe the first 10 years of a coach they didn't win any championship. Mm. And um, then came the great run from 1964 or 65, and then into the late 60s through 73, they and 75, they won championships. They ended up with, um, I believe it was 12 championships um, during his time there. So back to your story there, um, not initial success, and then an, an amazing run of success, or success being measured by the traditional people things people use. This is NCAA championships. Got it. Okay. Well, you know, that makes sense uh, because it's this feeling of like, um, almost like putting him in a, in a place where like putting him in the corner and then he comes out and takes over the whole court or stifling him. And then it's this major uprising, something to that effect where and it's about placement too, he's saying. Um, so once once a piece, you know, a piece of the puzzle is put in the right position, the whole picture comes alive. Um, so to, to kind of talk on your question, 
I'm going to invite him to just comment on um, just the nature of the whole realm of sports and, and um, mind, body, spirit, health alignment. Good. Uh, let's see what he wants to share in that space. He's, he's funny. He's very direct um, as he talks and responds. Um, he says right away that he's acknowledging the importance of all, all layers, mind, body, spirit, coherence, uh, what we've been talking about. Because he says, he says, how could you go out and run a race if you didn't feel the body properly? You're asking for a certain type of performance, he says. And if you don't, if you don't put gasoline in your car, it's not going to perform. If you don't, you know, properly fuel your, the machine, it's not going to, it's not going to do what you ask of it in the context of sports um, and performance. So he's saying, he's saying more now than ever, it's important to acknowledge and more now than ever, it's almost like drive harder. I don't want to say unacknowledged, like he won't allow me to say that it's not being addressed because it, it is, but it's, it's almost the simultaneous effect that he's showing that we're oscillating between drive harder, go, you know, bigger, higher, faster. And, um, maintaining mindfulness of, of that space because he says, it's not absent, but if you're, he says, if your input is not of the same quality of the results you want, you're going to have a tragic outcome, like what you're putting into it. So if what you're putting into anything is not of quality uh, and in direct proportion to the outcome you'll have. That's where his words are. You'll have a tragic outcome. This is where uh, you see suicides and things where, where people just completely drop out because they sort of jump the shark. They go so fast, so hard um, that they completely flip the boat. Um, so what you have to have, he says, is the quality of input, the way you train, the way you take care of yourself, the way you enrich your whole team, your whole mind, body, space, he says, has to match the quality. If you want these top results outcome, you have to have the integrity of that in place too, to start. Or you'll have the lopsided effect, he says. And that's what we're seeing a lot of. He says, that's why we see a lot of, um, because Kids will, he says, they'll drive their bodies as hard as their bodies can possibly go without fueling them. And eventually, it's like running a car without oil, he says, like you, or gasoline, like eventually the engine's going to blow. You have to have um, balance. He makes me feel like he had eyes for that. Did he, can you acknowledge it? Cause I, of course I didn't know him, you know, when yeah. he was here in the physical, it, he makes me feel like he had eyes for that. And it's almost like I see him being very, um, 
cut and dry, almost like in the sense of if someone shows up on his team in their half-assed quality for that day, he might be known to send them home. I don't know. I don't know this individual, but it's this feeling of like, I think that he really embodied the full, like the awareness and paying attention to the full athlete, not just the physical part of the person, but everything else too. And I think that he would not be afraid to say, hey, wait, something's missing here. You know, go home and read this book and then come back and see how that translates on the field or something. You know, I think that he had a lot of depth to him and he understood that in the people that he worked with and trained. So um, while we're sitting here talking, I'm looking on my phone to research on him, which I had not done. I maybe should have in advance. John Wooden had a heart attack in 1972, 1973. Oh, wow. And the, the, uh, according to this biographer here from UCLA, they kind of hid that from the world. They didn't want him to seem weak. And so it wasn't widely publicized. Yeah. And the story of, um, Hey, Thanks, you know, yeah. And the story of, uh, or the statement of you may tell someone to go home reminds me of a very funny, uh, example of that. Bill Walton is one of the great players of all time, played for coach Wooden. Then he played in the NBA hall of famer and, uh, Bill was a free spirit and he came to practice, um, with, I think, long hair and a beard and, uh, in coach Wooden's days. That was not allowed. And uh, he said something like, um, you know, hey, you're, you're going to have to <laughs> shave that off and, and uh, or else you're not going to be on the team. And, um, and Bill said something like, uh, well, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm protesting the war, coach, and, you know, <laughs> this. And, and uh, Coach Wooden's like, well, you know, we're going to miss you. <laughs> and, of course, Walton shaved and he came back to practice. Um, and then as your comment about his depth and go read a book, the book statement is very, uh, appropriate. Coach Wooden spent his life studying people and he wrote a book, a very famous yeah. book called the pyramid of success. And so it was a very measured approach to what he viewed as the way to live a successful life. Oh, wow. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for doing the research as we're chatting, you know, it's anytime we can make those connection points and validate, it's not from my relief, but for his, because oftentimes spirit will begin to repeat themselves and make something bigger and louder, become more emphatic, emphatic on something when uh, they're trying to make that connection point, just because when we do, when we validate and acknowledge that it strengthens the connection, it grounds their energy and then they have more space. It creates spaciousness. So uh -huh. I want to just see if we can wrap up with one thing here with coach yeah. is, um, he said, it's important to fuel the athlete. Um, and I, we had come out of that other context of mind, body, spirit. Would you please ask him what, what advice he has for fueling the athlete? He's, he's funny. He's already talking as you're asking, he's saying, um, to make sure, because he, he's, a, he's definitely all about balance when it comes to mind, body, spirit. I think that's why he was just such a good individual. Again, I didn't know him, but this is what I, I sense from him as he comes through. Uh, 
that he understood the value of soul food, um, light food and body food, right? Like feeding your soul, like you need a nap or you need a break, go home. Because he, it seems as though he never allowed himself to function from a place of desperation. You know how some coaches are so loud in their being and they have that sense of urgency that they come off desperate to get through and desperate to win or make results. He didn't have that. It seems like he had much more human connectivity and awareness. And so he could recognize if somebody was falling short of properly fueling themselves, mind, body, spirit. So my, so what he's showing is like, um, it was not outside of his nature to recommend, you know, if somebody's quality is lacking on the field, recommend a book, recommend a nutrition evaluation, recommend, you know, uh, because the book takes care of um, mind and spirit on, on different levels, right? Or um, for them to go witness something else, you know, go watch another team play and come back at me with, you know, uh, answers. So he made them do the work. And I think that's what brings about a quality coach is that he, he acknowledges the full being, not just the athlete. He acknowledges the mind of the athlete, the spirit and the body. And, you know, if you know, I think that sometimes he also had this beautiful gift to recommend soul food for his um, team members, you know, for these, these athletes and going, you know, I, cause he, I think he could, he could pinpoint where something was lacking and say, this is what you need. But I feel like it was sometimes out of the box. Like what you need is some time with your family or what you need is a good conversation with a friend. Like what you need is to slow down. I think he had a, re- a wonderful knack for being able to plug in those gaps and really acknowledge what the athlete needed even when they didn't know what they needed and bring out the best in that. And I think he also kept them still enough to um, not allow them to get to that place of urgency and rush around within themselves. Um, And so that's what produces a quality team because he teaches them if you enrich yourself and feed yourself properly, mind, body, spirit, you're connected to yourself, which means you better connect to your team, which means you better connect to the sport, which means we produce a favorable outcome. I think he understood deeply the chain of action, the chain of results there, like the reaction that he would get when all of those things were in place. And he was a really good caretaker when it came to making sure those pieces were in place. Wow. Um, I think anybody who has read about John Wooden will agree with those characterizations. And you used a very interesting word. Um, you said rush, and he actually had a, a saying, I may botch it, but in essence, it was like, hurry, don't rush or be fast, don't rush yes. right. oh. as a player. Yeah. Precision. Yeah. Preci- precision without urgency is key, you know, and, and the um, power, like, I think he had the ability to extract power the power from these athletes without creating that sense of urgency you know that we see a lot of 
athletes sort of suffer to their own, their own demise with that sense of rushing inside themselves. Rushing is perceived, you know, an old shamanic saying is rushing is violence. And if you're in that violence inside yourself, you're not connected. And so you're going to sort of be clumsy and make mistakes. I think he was just finesse in his approach to really pinpoint that. And I think that he, he had an ability to connect to his team member. And the reason why I say that I think this is because he's sharing his personality. So he's exuding that. That's what I'm picking up on. But he had this ability to, to sort of put awareness and acknowledgement to anyone around him and see them for the full spectrum. That's why he was so successful. Because if you can see the full spectrum of someone, you can acknowledge, let's say as an athlete, where their shortcomings are and also their potential. And if you're a really good coach, you plug in the gap, you, you close that gap. You know what's needed to close that gap. That's where he came in with finesse and knew how to recommend soul food. Um, because it's not, for him, I don't think it was always like more skills and drills, come back to me and you'll be better. It wasn't that. I think he was the kind of coach of like, hey, what are you doing to take care of that body? What are you doing to help your mind grow? You know, I think he really acknowledged the full spectrum of his uh, athletes. Well, that makes perfect sense. Um, and I love it that you don't know who he is. He, uh, in addition to being a coach, he was an academic teacher. He taught English, uh, I believe. And so no, he not? had a perspective that was more than skills and drills. Oh, how cool. Yeah. Well, Beautiful. this has been amazing, uh, Kimberly, and thank you so much for being my guest here. And I oh, hope my that pleasure. Uh, this has been of value and, 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 uh, and more for the listeners. Tell our listeners um, where they can find you on social media and elsewhere. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has been such a, a rich, wonderful conversation, you know. From teeny tiny little bitty athletes to, you know, great big adult humans, I think this conversation is so important. Um, so thank you so much for having me. My website is KimberlyRay.com, R-A-Y. Um, and, you know, that's where you can find my work. Of course, I'm on social media across the board as well um, at Kimberly Ray. So that's, that's where I share my work. Um, awesome. Awesome. But I thank you dearly for having me. It's been my absolute pleasure. Yeah, my pleasure as well. And uh, listeners, uh, I encourage you to reach out to Kimberly. And uh, if you like this podcast, give us a like somewhere. Give us some nice review. And yes. uh, I know we'll have I know we'll have Kimberly back for again part right. one, yeah. part two, yeah. three, and more. Um, yes. Lots and lots to talk about, and we can all benefit from. Thank you so much, Kimberly. You are so welcome, Scott. Please take good care. Take care of yourselves, you guys, and please take care of each other. Until next time. Alrighty. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post it on social media, or leave a rating and review. What I really love is if you give me a call. I love to have individual conversations with people. Give me a call or a text and we will set that up. And my phone number is 703-624-8265. I'm a real person. Let's have a phone call and I look forward to it. Thanks again. And I'll see you next time.